You are listening to the Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. Well, we have been tracking through the book of Acts since the beginning of the year, and we've made it through the first five chapters of the book, uh, and it's been an exciting journey. We called the first five chapters Created with Purpose. That's been the theme, that the church and the individuals, the community there, they were all created with purpose. Now today, we're going to take our next step into the next section, uh, Acts chapter 6 through Acts chapter 10, the next five chapters, and we're going to keep moving, keep focused, keep energized, and the next theme is finding the purpose. And when we say that, it's the realization of the power of the gospel is what we're trying to find. And what it means when one truly finds their purpose. What does it mean when we, as a gateway church, finds our purpose? Or individually, when each of us find our purpose, and we're going to study the story of Stephen, and the story of Philip, and the story of Saul is going to start to emerge, and who is the Apostle Paul. And we're also going to look at Cornelius, all in the next five chapters. And uh, we're excited about that. And I want to encourage you that along this way, that God, he's going to open up and reveal to each of us our next steps. What is the purpose God has for us in this season? Now today, we're going to get, uh, as we launch into this, we're going to see seven individuals that step into their purpose. And it's going to be awesome. First service was great. I want to encourage you to be ready to respond at the end of the service. So I want to remind you that uh, the Apostle Luke has been writing uh, this book, the book of Acts, and he was a doctor, and it's so important that what really happened is what we read, and he's he's very factual, and let's uh, turn to Acts chapter 6, and we'll start in verse 1 and kind of get our mind around what's happening at this point in the church. It says, in those days, Acts chapter 6, verse 1, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing. And we're going to pause right there for a second. The number of disciples were increasing. We are talking about fast growth within the early church. In chapter 2, we saw that the church grew to 3,000 people. In Acts chapter 4, we saw 5,000 people at that point. In Acts chapter 5, verse 14, they stopped uh, putting a number on it, but look what it says. It says, Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their numbers. They continued to grow even in in the face of persecution. The church was still growing in Acts chapter 6. It's supernatural. And with fast growth, And they were quickly realizing that there was no perfect church. In fact, there were problems within the church that might surprise you. And especially as the church was growing and the church was alive, there were issues and problems. And we're going to look at that. But as I was studying, I ran across a resource that kind of describes the difference between a church that's alive and a church that's dead. And I want to see if you can kind of relate to some of these things and kind of get your, picture, get your mind around these things. In a church that's alive, expenses often are more than the income. 
and it causes them to live by faith. In a dead church, they don't need much money. Hmm. In an alive church, there's problems with the parking. In a dead church, there's lots and lots of empty spaces. In a live church, there are noisy children. In a dead church, it's quiet, like a cemetery. <laughs> In an alive church, you can't keep up with people's names. You don't know everyone's names. In a dead church, everyone knows everyone's name. Hmm. And in a live church, there's an outward focus, missions-oriented, and living with an open hand. In a dead church, they keep their money at home with a closed hands. And uh, that's an interesting idea. Uh, don't have time to explore it. And in a live church, they move and act on faith. In a dead church, they live only by what they see, only by sight. And then it goes on and it makes it even more personal. The members or the attenders of an alive church, they actually read their Bibles. And I want to encourage you to be reading your Bible. And we've got the soap journal uh, idea where we're all reading along the path, two chapters a day. Get into God's Word. Because in a dead church, members seldom read the Word of God. In an alive church, there's enthusiastic involvement. In a dead church, there's no ministries, just functions. In an alive church, members look for something to help with. In a, in a dead church, members only look for something to complain about. Ooh. And the last one relates to last week's message. In an alive church, members reach out and share their faith. They make the name of Jesus famous. In a dead church, they don't have anything to share. Acts chapter 6, at this point, we are looking and studying a church that was alive. The Spirit of God was moving in an unprecedented way. There are miracles. And you might think, man, if God is moving in such a powerful way, there would be the absence of problems. There would be no issues if God was really moving. And I just want to say that that is a false understanding because the truth is, is that problems are used by God to shape and develop ministries. Many ministries, many outreaches are developed in response to a problem. In fact, just this week, the stock up uh, giveaway was a response about eight or nine years ago to a problem that we were facing as a church. I want to share the, the background because we've got so many new folks that, that weren't a part of the church back then, but I want you to know that this stock up, we used to call it the hygiene drive, and then it changed to the personal care product giveaway, and now it's, it's kind of lumped in with a series of outreaches that we call stock up things, and we do the back, back stock up, and this is the spring stock up, and, and things like that, but it, it started with our church and our board, the leadership, realizing that we were struggling as a church. In fact, we, uh, in fact uh, Rick Ebeling, who's right on the front row here, uh, he said, Pastor, we are bleeding people, is the exact terminology. Remember, we talked about this. And we were praying for discernment. We we're saying, man, we are losing people, and we are struggling as a church. And uh, we prayed and discerned, and the Lord put it on our heart that 
I would visit every family in the church in their homes, uh, and I would take a board member with me, and we'd simply ask three things. Number one, if, what is it at the Gateway Church that you like the best? Number two, if you could change one thing, what would it be? And then the third piece was, how can we best minister to your family? And we did this over about three months, and we scheduled it out, and, and, uh, and, every, and really what we heard from the people is that, yes, we want to make an impact in Laos and in China and in uh, Africa, but we also wanted to make an impact right in our backyard, right here at home. And out of that interaction, the, the uh, personal care product giveaway emerged because we heard of a problem that for those that use their bridge cards uh, to get food, the, those bridge cards did not cover the personal care products. And we said, hey, we can do something about that. And can you see how it happens? We see this problem. We are having issues inside the church. We said, hey, we heard from the, the people and we rallied together. And now it's eight or nine years later. We're still doing it. And God is getting the glory and the advancement of the gospel has been pretty incredible. And what I, I share that to say that God uses problems to develop outreach and ministry. And another step is even make it even more personal that actually when God wants to develop a leader, he often will give a problem to be solved and that leader will grow through that process. And that leads us to the first of three things that we want to discover this morning from Acts chapter 6. So let's turn there. And the first thing we're going to look at is the problem. What was the problem? And we see it right in there in verse 6, I'm sorry, verse, chapter 6, verse 1. It says, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. We'll pause right there. As we dive into this, we're going to look at the problem. But while we do this, I want you to be thinking of what is the problem that you're facing today? Because we're going to swing back at the end of the message and kind of come back to this moment, this personal idea of saying, all right, what is it that the Lord I need help with or, uh, the, for the next steps? And we'll, we'll get there. But look at this problem. How big had the church grown to? Uh, 5,000 uh, in Ch Acts chapter 4 is described. That would have been 5,000 men. They only counted the men back then. So you add the women, another 5,000 plus children. At that point, they were 12 to 15,000 strong. And then they continued to grow. In Acts chapter 5, and here in Acts chapter 6, the, the estimate here is probably a church between twenty and 25,000 people. Regardless of the size and how you look at it, uh, they had 12 overseers, 12 disciples for all of these people. And the church had to adjust their structure if they were going to make it long term. The current structure of the apostles taking care of all the needs was not realistic. And here in verse 1, we see two groups that were mentioned. And the first is the Hebraic Jews. These are the Jews that spoke Aramaic primarily. They did uh, understand Greek. And, but these were the Jewish Jews. They were the ones from Israel. And they were devoted. And they were committed 
Jews. The others were the Hellenistic Jews, were, which would have been considered the outsiders. They spoke Greek, uh, uh, so a little bit different, and they were from Palestine. And so we have these two groups of Jews, now believers, all kind of worshiping together, kind of two different cultures, so to speak. And the problem that was happening it was in regards to the widows. The Hellenistic uh, Jews were complaining against the Hebraic Jews, and I don't want to read too much into it, uh, but some commentators believe that you know, there's these differences, and they're saying, hey, we're not quite like you. Why are you treating our widows different than yours? You say, well, what is it about the widows? Well, in that culture, widows were very prominent. Uh, for a lot of different reasons. And there had been clear instruction in Scripture, Old Testament and New, how to care for the widows. I'll just give you a couple examples. Psalm 68, verse 5 says to be the defender of the widows. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17. This is one of my wife's favorite verses. She was here first service. Listen to do right. Seek justice defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless. That's talking about orphan ministry. And then plead the cause of the widow. In the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 3, and that really that whole section talks about widows and then elders and slaves, but it says, give proper recognition to the widows who are really in need. Again, there was a lot to be said in Scripture, and they're trying to follow this, but they've got this issue that kind of emerges. The clear direction from Scripture, but there was conflict, there was a problem that was evident. And I want to pause here for a second, and I, can you see that there's these two different cultures, and they're caring for their widows a little different. And what happens in cases like this is that Satan sees the opportunity to divide and to conquer. The enemy comes in when there's division or potential division and he gets a foothold. And that's what we want to be aware of. I actually wrote in my notes this morning, never give Satan a foothold. Someone needs to hear that loud and clear. Never give Satan a foothold. The problem here is that the apostles were too busy serving tables and they were neglecting the word of God in prayer. The apostles were trying to do too much. And the result was the big problem is that there was a deficiency in the church spiritually. The apostles were showing up for ministry and they didn't have anything to say. They hadn't been in the word like they should. They weren't praying like they should. And so the apostles, they get solution-oriented, and they take the problem and they say, we need a plan. And that takes us to the second thing that I want us to see this morning, the plan. Acts chapter 6, look at it in verse 2. What did they do? It says, so the, so the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Verse 3, brothers and sisters, choose seven men among you who are full of the spirit and of wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. You see what happened? They created a plan. The apostles, they saw the big picture. They're saying, we cannot do it all. 
Now, they weren't against serving tables. You certainly don't want to read that into the story. Instead, they realized that their priority was to be in the Word of God and to be men of prayer. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, I love what Paul, the Apostle Paul, later says to this young pastor, Timothy. 1 Timothy 4, actually I'm going to start in verse 11, then it'll pick up on the screen at 13, but it says, Command them, command and teach these things. Do not let anyone look down on you because of your age, because of your youth. And then verse 13 says, Until I come. So in other words, this is what you should be doing. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Verse 14, do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through the prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. In other words, keep the word of God the priority. And you better be prayed up as you share the word of God. Don't show up without anything to say. And it kind of got me thinking about a pastor's responsibilities. What are the priorities? What are the expectations of a modern-day pastor? And you may have seen something like this online, but there's, um, there are ex- expectations today on pastors um, that are, to be frank, quite unrealistic. Yes, we want our pastors to be excellent in preaching and teaching and to be filled with the Holy Spirit and, and those types of things are standard. But then, listen, listen to some of the other things that some would expect a pastor to do. The pastor should be uh, well, uh, understand, and to do counseling well, visitation and pastoral care. Should know how to manage a budget well. They certainly better be a good administrator, the CEO of the church. They need to be strong in leadership development, in vision casting. They need to be the primary person for missions and church growth and understand that. Add on benevolence and uh, caring for those that are in need. They need to understand music and youth ministry and kids ministry. And the list could go on and on. And the idea, I'm not trying to, to, to lighten any of those things, but the idea is what God's word says is that the word of God and prayer better be the number one and number two. And I like what one pastor said in regards to his primary duty. He says, my job is to study myself to death every week. You say, what? And then pray myself back to life. <laughs> I love that. So you study to death, you pray yourself back to life. One pastor that I know personally, he calls it planned neglect. Plan to neglect everything until he's ready for Sunday. And I really appreciate that. I could probably learn from that a bit. But it's understanding the weight of God's word. And some have described the idea of preparing and in the presence of God, studying God's word to being pregnant. And I know I'm not a woman. I haven't experienced this, but I've walked along my wife. And I know that it's like this, that the word of God gets inside of you, right? And then it kind of grows. And, and then there's this idea that there's, these, these, there's pain in the, in the process. And then there's the delivery. And then there's the release of that. And it's like birthing a message each and every week. And I've, I've related to that and understand that. The Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 1, verse 25, he talked about his role in the church was to be commissioned by God to present the word of God in its fullness. That was Paul's job. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, it says to preach the word. 
Be prepared in season. This is talking to young Timothy again. Be prepared in season and out of season. You do that by being in the presence of God. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. This is what a pastor's job is. And here in, uh, in Acts chapter 6, there's this problem that occurs. The pastors are so busy that they're showing up without anything to say. And this church problem gives opportunity for the community to live by faith. They have faith, putting their faith in God, of course, but also putting their faith in others. And that's what I want to kind of look at. Putting their faith in, faith in others. Adjusting the structure, so to speak. I love in verse 2 of Acts chapter 6, it says they are all together. Again, they're in unity. They're bringing clarity. And they came up with the plan, and then they executed it with, uh, with uh, just precision. And they were swift about it. Look at it, verse, fit, verse 5. It says, this proposal pleased the whole group. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, and Nic- uh, Nicanor. Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas uh, from Antioch. I actually practiced those, and I'm saying them so slow. <laughs> they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so they picked seven. They prayed about it. They didn't wait weeks or months or years. They said, we have got to get after this. And out of a selection, out of discernment, what were the types of people that they picked? They picked men that were full of the Spirit of God. Look at it. Acts chapter 6, verse 3. It says, brothers and sisters, choose from among you men who are known. Everyone say known. They're known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Verse 5, they proposed, they picked Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. If they lined up all the disciples, all those that were part of the church, that were connected, I want you to know they were looking for those that had fruit that could be seen in their lives. Not every Christian is full of the Spirit. Now, they have the Spirit inside because when we get Christ, when we have salvation, we get the Holy Spirit. He lives and resides in us. But what we're talking about is the fullness, the fullness, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And absolutely, that was seen in these seven. And it's an important thing. It was observable. The Holy Spirit is what made the difference in those seven and in others' lives. Men and women known to be anointed. I was thinking about it. That's the type of leaders that we need to serve in our nurseries. We want Holy Spirit-filled people serving in our nurseries. We want our greeters to be full of the Spirit. We want our ushers and our youth volunteers and worship leaders, and, and the list could go on, all the areas to be full of the Spirit. That idea of being full of means to be controlled by. And we see that example in Stephen as the chapter goes on. Look at it real quick at verse 8. It says, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. He was full of the Spirit. He was controlled by the Spirit. Verse 10, it says, that, uh, But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave to Stephen. And so he's full of, he's controlled by the Spirit. 
And that's what we see in each of these cases. There was a problem, then the plan. They executed the plan. And one commentator, that the, this outline that I'm following, said there was a problem. Everyone say a problem. Then there was a plan. And then the product. A lot of peas. Everybody say that's a lot of peas. And I didn't really like the way he said the product, but it was a P word, so I, but I changed it to the result. What happened as a result of them seeing the problem, creating the plan, executing that plan? Well, let's look at it. Acts chapter 6, verse 7. It says, in result, the results, the product, right? So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a number of priests became obedient to the faith. In other words, the gospel went forward. The name of Jesus was made known. The word of God advanced. Now, verse 7, if you study the book of Acts, is one of many transition verses. And there was a transition coming in the church at this point. Their time in Jerusalem, which was the fulfillment of Acts chapter 1, they would first be a witness in Jerusalem, was coming to an end. Change was coming. And that they were at the climax almost um, of the, before the change. The, there was going to be persecution. Uh, and the, the idea of Stephen being persecuted like never before is going to give his life the first martyr. And we're going to study that next week. Uh, but then after that, they scattered and made their way to Samaria to the Gentiles. Again, the result was the word of God advanced outside of Jerusalem. Even priests were becoming believers. Who would have thought? And what we see here, we see that the problem was tied to the product, the solution, the result. And really, it would, the problem was connected to the purpose of the local church there. God was directing. They found their purpose. And that's what I want to talk about, finding our purpose. What Satan tried to divide and bring confusion and tried to, to, uh, to bring um, division, God used this situation to empower the leaders to lead, to use their voices, and they found their purpose. Let's look at the two that are mentioned outside of this uh, verse in uh, chapter 6. We see more about Stephen and Philip. The other five we never hear about from that point forward. But let's look at it. Stephen, which by the way, next week we're going to study the story of Stephen, and I'm going to encourage you to read it in advance. Next Sunday is going to be an incredible Sunday. Uh, we're going to not only be studying that, but we've got one of our students that is going to preach a short sermon in the message, and, or is, is a part of the service. And then we got a few of our girls from the fine arts that are going to be uh, ministering in worship. And so you're not going to want to miss next week. It's going to be fantastic. But we're also going to look at the story of Stephen. So pre-read that, get your mind around it. But look at what happened. Stephen, he's selected among the leaders, and he started off serving tables. And as you pre-read or you reread the story, you're going to see that within moments, Stephen is now preaching the gospel. He's advancing the kingdom of God. He found his purpose. The same is true with Philip. 
started off serving tables, selected to serve tables, and he ends up being the first to reach the Samaritans. Turn with me just a page over to Acts chapter 8. Look at it. So this is after the story of Stephen, which we're going to study next week. He, uh, Stephen gives his life, and then the church scatters. And look what it says in verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. They didn't stop. Philip went down into the city, into Samaria, and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame, they were healed. So there was great joy in that city. And what I want you to see is that Philip, again, started serving tables, and he was the first one to reach the Samaritans. Again, the word increased. They found their purpose. Now, I want to wrap this up and bring it to our context here at the Gateway Church. What are the things in this, these few verses that we see that the Gateway Church needs to understand? Number one is there's, we need great unity. In fact, we are going to fight for unity. We're going to stand for unity. And uh, it says in, this, in these few verses that they were back on the same page. And uh, what I want to talk about here is biblical conflict resolution. And the biblical con co uh, conflict resolution, it has to start with unity. Uh, our team is unified. We, we protect it strongly, and it's such an important thing. The other thing is that we see here is that there was great involvement. We believe in the power of the team. This is not the Ben Vey show, I assure you. The other thing we see here is that in this text, they decided to keep short accounts. Again, they didn't let this harbor, they the, this issue, they didn't say, well, we'll get around to it, uh, you know, a week or a month or a year later. No, they got right on it. The other thing we see is that they went to the right source, to the right people. They brought their issues to the right people to get it figured out. And I want to just encourage you, how many know that, that when there's issues, when there's things that are unsettling, there's a right way and a wrong way to do those things. And I want to encourage you to follow Scripture. The thing I can promise about us here at the Gateway Church is that there will be conflict. There will be. We're a growing church. We're healthy. We are not going to ignore it, though, the conflict. I don't know, some of you have uh, experienced and uh, worked with people that uh, have had addictions. I've had uh, some, some things that I've worked on and even in my own life. And one thing I've learned is if you're struggling with addiction, you can't just ignore the problem. If you ignore the problem, what is happening, you, while you're doing this over here, it's in the corner, and I've heard this uh, in some counseling, it's in the corner doing push-ups. It's getting stronger, and all of a sudden, it's back, and it's worse than ever. So you've got to face it right on. And we are committed to do that. I promise you there will be conflict, but I promise you that we are going to deal with it straight up. We will deal with conflict resolution. And the other thing that we see in this passage that is so key is in order to do that and to do it well, you need strong leaders. As we moved into 2018, the Lord had been really stern in my heart in the fall of 2017. 
And I've shared this with the staff and with the board. And we believe that in 2018, we are making a change in our leadership structure that we have to become leaders of leaders. We can't do it all on our own. And we've been sharing this for several months now, and, and we, we've been saying that. And it's not a new problem in Scripture. If you can go all the way back to Exodus chapter 18, Moses was trying to do the judging all on his own. You can read it on your own. And his father-in-law comes and says, this is not good what you're doing. He says you've got to entrust others to judge and you only take the big, the big issues. We see the same thing in Acts chapter 6 here. The same issue. They were, the disciples were trying to do too much. They couldn't do all the things that they wanted to do. As I was sharing this with the staff, even this week, is saying, hey, this is kind of where I feel like God is taking us. Um, Pastor Bobby reminded me of something that Bruce had said. I went back to Bruce. I'm like, hey, help me remember this. And Bruce had said in one of our meetings, as we were talking about being leaders of leaders, I love the way this young man dreams. He says, our 200 that are attending now will be the leaders of the next 200. And I thought, man, isn't that great? Don't you love the way Bruce thinks? all with the passion to reach one more. And what that means in our context is that there's opportunity for leadership here at the Gateway Church. What this means is that there is a place for you to develop, to step out, for you to take the initiative, and for you to find your purpose. That's what that means. And because our culture is a culture of leaders leading leaders, as we do this, as we see that uh, played out, we are going to be able to care for our people in even a greater amount. I want to tell you a story that happened. It was like God was orchestrating it just for this message, I believe. We, uh, as a staff, have been investing heavily in our connection groups. We talk about that's one of the expectations. As you're connecting with us, we want you, yes, to be here faithfully on Sundays, but we also, the expectation is, get involved. Don't live life alone. We're better together, and so connection groups are important. We've been investing in some of our our, uh, connection group leaders, and what's great is that there was a need that, that came. There was a family in the church. The wife had two back surgeries in the last week and had uh, two or three MRIs, if I remember right, and, uh, and they were in bad shape. And they didn't expect this, but on the fly, they're saying, hey, your, your wife is going to be in a wheelchair. Didn't think that was going to be the case, but you're going to need a ramp at your house. And it's like, oh, man, what, what are we going to do? Or what, you know, this family. And what's interesting is how the connection group leader was aware, had a better pulse than I did as the pastor, let me assure you. And the Connect group rallied together, got the people, the resources, and they were able to install the ramp this week. And you know what? They didn't ask the pastor to do it. I'm thinking, well, I mean, they wouldn't have anyway because that would have been a bad idea. I, I, I would have been, a, I could have probably picked something up. But, uh, uh, but, but, Men rallied. God did the work. And some of you were a part of that story. But what I want you to see is the power of leaders leading leaders that are taking care of needs. 
You say, man, when we get bigger, it's going to be hard to care for one another. No, it's not. Because we're going to get bigger. As we get bigger, we've got to get smaller. Thus, the importance of being in a connect group. And, uh, and I just want to encourage you that that's how needs are met. So my question to you is, where will you fit in in our story at the Gateway Church? What is God calling you to do? You say, well, I, I don't know. How would I prepare myself to be used in a ministry or to be used in a, to be a leader? Well, the priority in Scripture here is that they were full of the Spirit of God. And as you dive in to the presence of God and the fullness of God bubbles up inside of you, do you know what's going to emerge? An opportunity to serve tables. And I know what some of you are thinking, that's not what I had in mind. <laughs> Maybe to clean toilets or scrub the floors. I don't know. Look, that's, what, that's where Stephen and Philip started. And then God accelerated them. And there's going to be opportunities. The point is there are going to be opportunities to serve. And we've got to be ready for the next step. I want you to hear this loud and clear that there is a place for you and your gifts here at the Gateway Church. And I didn't say this for service, and I forgot, Pastor Bobby, that if you're wondering, saying, man, I, I want to be used, uh, the way to get that ball going is, is really to connect with Pastor Bobby. And, and we want, as a staff, to be a conduit to kind of to hear the, the desire and to put you in places and to release you and get you trained and get you moving. Amen? And so I want you to hear that one more time. There's a place for you and your gifts at the Gateway Church. Last thing, I want to wrap back around to the idea that there's problems, there's going to be problems, and maybe there's some problems that we're facing in our own lives personally. I want you to see, and listen to this, you're going to like this, to see our problems as possibilities to create a plan to see the product or the result help you find your purpose. How many think that's a lot of peas? <laughs> it's just a fun way to say it. But seriously, I want you to, to answer the question, what problem or problems are you facing today? I'm going to ask Pastor Bobby to come, and really I want to end our time wrestling with this question, saying, all right, if there's a problem, to have a follow-up question, what, Lord, are you trying to show me, to teach me, in this situation? What is God's direction? What is God's next step in regards to the situation, the problem that you're facing? And I believe that God, He does the supernatural when we, when we ask those types of questions. Let's pray. Lord, I'm thankful for this morning that You are calling us to greatness. And Lord, I understand that there are issues and problems that emerge in each and every one of our lives. Some are greater than others, but Lord, in that, I want to be the type of person that says, Lord, what do I need to learn or how can I accomplish or to change the circumstances? 
to take the problem and make them a possibility to find purpose. God, I pray in the next few moments that you would do uh, what only you can do. Help us to address the areas. Give us the next steps through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask that everyone stand right where you are. And before we talk about our problems, I want to talk about a big problem that each of us will face in our lifetime. The problem is our lostness. That without Jesus covering our sins, we will not make it to heaven. The problem is, is that we cannot be good enough to make our way to heaven. The only way we get to heaven is to have our sins forgiven. The Bible says, For all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. It also says that the wages of sin is death. What we deserve is death and destruction. But then the verse goes on and says, But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And if you're ready this morning to surrender to God and say, I want my life to be changed, I need salvation, I need to receive Christ, we want to give you that opportunity right here, right now. In fact, with a show of hands, how many here this morning would say, that's me today. I need to come back to the Lord or I need to find Jesus today. First service, there was one. Is there anyone second service here saying, man, I don't want to walk out of these doors without getting my life right with God. Just slip up your hand right where you are. Not going to embarrass you, but we do want to pray with you. Is there anyone where your heart is beating? You say, man, I know I need to raise my hand, but I'm nervous. I get that. Who here, second service, say, man, today's the day I need to find Christ. Anyone at all? Okay. I don't see any hands. If I missed it, forgive me. Then let's talk about our problems. What problems are you facing? And what's the next step to do? With the problems that we're facing, big, small, financial, spiritual, relational, whatever it is, the next step is to bring it to the Lord. The song that we sang at the end of worship is, Oh, Come to the Altar. And that's simply what we're going to do over the next few moments. We're going to create an atmosphere here where you can come and bring your problem to the Lord. And each of us, in our way, and I'm going to be here as well, was first service with Jessica, saying, Lord, I give this situation, this issue, this circumstance to you. And then we're going to ask the Lord for the next step through the power of his Holy Spirit. So without further ado, Pastor Bobby, would you lead us? And would you join me and say, bring your problem to the Lord? Say, Lord, this is it. I'm going to lay it at your feet. I'm not going to take it up anymore. Yep, just join us here as we worship the Lord together. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. For those that step forward saying, man, there's an issue that I need the Lord to help me with. To those that are sitting in their seats still, I just want to remind us that daily there are issues that we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be full of the Spirit. That's the priority that will help us to discern and to make the right choices along the way. But when we ask the Lord for insight in a moment like this, we bring it to the altar and we lay it at the feet of God. What I want you to know is that the the Bible uh, 
kind of gives a pattern, not giving the full picture. He doesn't, the Lord won't reveal the end of the story, typically. Instead, what he does is he gives the next step. And we're to be people of faith, to walk by faith, not by sight. And to take the next step, a step of faith, is difficult. But as we hear and discern the will of God from the front to the back this morning in the presence of God, I want you to be aware that the Lord, I believe, is going to drop in our hearts the next step. What's next? What's the next thing to do? And many times, God won't give you the next after the next until you've accomplished and did. And so really, my heart is to activate us to a place of action this week to do what God is calling us to do and to know that God is going to be there. He's going to help us through no matter what we're facing, no matter if it's a, an issue with a relationship, a financial issue, a spiritual issue in our lives. We can, what is the next step? And we can walk those things out. And so with that idea, I want to close with this prayer. Lord, we're asking for the strength to not only hear your voice, but then to take a step and to walk in your ways. God, I pray for supernatural obedience this week to do the thing that you're calling us to do. And God, that you would work in our lives, whatever that means. And God, that we'll be quick to give you the praise and all the glory. Lord, meet us right here, right now. And God, I pray that you would go before us, behind us, and all around us. We pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. I want you to turn and give someone a hug or a high five and uh, greet one another as you leave. God bless you. Go in the grace of God this morning. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com.